we're doing a series that we've been calling Feel Your Emotions. And um, it's quite peculiar because oftentimes in church, we don't really talk about emotions. It's honestly, sometimes we don't even like to admit that we have them. Uh, Particularly if you're a man, you're like, what are emotions? I don't know what those are. I don't feel those. I don't feel anything. Um, But the truth is we're all human beings. And um, the truth is we all feel things. Um, Better yet, we all stuff things. (laughs) Um, A lot of us, oftentimes, when we feel pain, when we feel hurt, when we feel emotions that we don't know what to do with, rather than really sitting in them and feeling them and giving them over to the Lord, um, we just numb them, we stuff them, we veg out on Facebook, we watch Netflix, we drink a little too much, whatever it may be, we all have these coping mechanisms. And the reason that we're doing this series, because I don't know if you know this or not, um, but you're all smart people, so I think you know this, but we are dealing with a mental health crisis in America. Literally a mental health crisis. There are more people that are anxious today. There are more people that are depressed today. There are more people just stuck in so many things, and they don't know how to get out. You have psychologist offices that are full, counselors offices that are full, pastors offices that are full with people that just have mental health issues, and we don't know where it's coming from. Um, But the truth is, what I want to talk about today, I want to talk about a subject called shame. Um, and it is my opinion, and based off of a lot of things that I've read with e- according to scriptures and even a lot of the research that I've done, I really genuinely think that most, and I'm not saying all, but most anxiety and most depression comes from shame. It comes from shame. Shame is the feeling that you feel when you've done something wrong and it speaks to your core identity that you are fundamentally flawed and even God can't love you based on what you've done. Um, it also tells you that if you ever come clean about the things that you've done, and maybe it wasn't even something that you've done, maybe it's something that somebody did to you, and you feel so dirty about it, and you feel so shameful about it, but you feel like you can't talk about it, um, because we buy into the lie that nobody's going to understand. Now, the reason that I've titled this message, The Robber, is simply because that's what shame is. It's a robber that robs you the ability to feel any other emotion. It says, if you feel sadness, you shouldn't feel it, so you feel shame for feeling sadness. If you feel anger, you shouldn't feel anger, so you feel shame for feeling anger. So what ends up happening is you have anger, you have sadness, you have depression, you have anxiety, and you're stuffing all these things down, and it leads to this big old thing that we call shame, and we don't know what to do with it. It's the reason we're depressed. It's the reason we spend six hours on Netflix. It's the reason that we pour an extra glass of wine at night because we can't go to sleep because we don't know what to do. We're dealing with a mental health crisis. So in light of all this, we really felt like it is necessary. The church has to step up and start addressing this issue because if we're honest with ourselves, that's where most of us are at. How many of you have ever been so stressed you don't know what to do with it? How many of you have ever felt depression or anxiety? We, we've all done it. Now, and it's something we don't like to admit, right? We don't like to admit that we're not okay. Anybody just like revel in the fact that you like, you just go around telling people I'm not fine? <laughs> Nobody likes that. Nobody likes feeling vulnerable. Nobody likes feeling weak. Nobody likes it. It's not fun. But the reason we titled this Feel Your Emotions is because God gave us emotions for a reason. We talked about this last week, but emotions are the red blinking light in our soul indicating that something is wrong and God's trying to address it. Like you don't have an outburst of anger just randomly. It's in there. (laughs) 
You don't have a day where you're just randomly sad. You don't just wake up sad one day and then happy. That like It's not random. There is something going on in our souls. And emotions are the indicators that God is trying to say, I gave you those emotions and I'm trying to tell you something through them. Now, I want to share a story with you that um, for, for me for a long time brought me a lot of shame. Um, but the truth is, thankfully, through counseling and God and setting me free and walking through all this kind of stuff, I've been able to be on the other side of it. But... The reason I share this story with you this morning is to maybe give you some hope with where you're at in your own life. One of the reasons that I ran away from the ministry for so long and didn't even want to dive into it because I hated the fact that every time a pastor or friends that I knew that were pastors, they would walk into a room with friends or whatever. And as soon as they would announce that they're a pastor, they'd be like, amen, holy brother, God, Jehovah witness. And you're like, what? <laughs> what? And all of a sudden people would change their countenance as soon as you walked in the room. All of a sudden, people had to feel like they had to be perfect, and they don't talk like this way. And all the, I'm like, man, I do not want to be that. So I made a decision a long time ago that says, you know what? The truth is people connect when you lead through your weakness, not your strength. I think scripture actually teaches us this. But I remember the road I drove down. I remember the smell in the air. I remember the utter disappointment in my wife's voice. I remember I sat at a park for five hours and wept thinking that I would never be able to get past this, thinking that my life as a pastor was surely over. Let me give you a little backstory on why I'm saying all this. So in 2014, we started to have the discussion about planning a church. And um, planning a church (laughs) is literally the most exciting and the most difficult thing that we've ever done. And uh, when we sold our home in Jennings to go and plant this church, I'm just I'm leaving a lot out of the story here, but for your own sake, because it would take me forever to tell this story. But when we, when we sold our home and we moved to Crowley, and we really felt like God was calling us here financially, it took everything we had to get here. To buy a home, to be able to put the insurances down, to do, I mean, we drained everything we had just to start this church. And so how many of you know when you look at your check account and it says $2, you don't have any security? <laughs> You're like, something is not right here. And so like any person would do, what do you do? You panic. And you start to begin to ask the Lord, like, okay, I, God, I thought we were following you in this. We're planting this church because you called us to plant this church. And now I'm at this place financially. Like, what does this look like? We, we drained everything we had to get here. All the money that we had, we put it to invest in starting this church. So in a moment of fear years ago, I went and I just took out a loan to get some money to to add some security to my family. My wife was pregnant at the time, which she has always been pregnant at the time. (laughs) Thankfully, that is not going to happen again. Thank God for modern medicine. Amen. Um, So I'm panicking in this moment. And and the truth is, it probably wouldn't have been that bad of a moment if my wife and I could have sat down and talked about, here's where we're at. This is probably what we need to do. We need to ask for some help. But how do you know, as a man, you like security and you want the appearance that everything is okay, right? So I didn't tell her about it, just left it alone. And here's what began to seep in and here's what began to happen to my soul. Shame begins to set in. And every single day, it would just pick away, eat away. And every single time finances met, I would just kind of recoil. I didn't want to talk about it. 
The reason I said I remember the road that I drove down, the smell in the air, because it was a phone call with the day that she finally knew everything that was going on. Anybody ever have those moments when you realize you can't hide anymore, like you're found out, you're caught, it's over, <laughs> right? Now, the real question is this. Why do we get to a place where we feel like we can't confess our weaknesses? Why do we get to a place when we've done something wrong? Why do we have to hide? I don't know anybody in here. I have six kids and I've never known any of them to come and say, dad, you know what? I just messed up and I just want to let you know about it. I heard the other day with my boys, they were fighting in the room. Is Eli in here? No, he's not in here. Eli's fighting in the room and he hits his brother, Peter, and Peter's screaming. He goes, I'll pay you $5 if you don't tell dad. (laughs) When we do something wrong, we want to do everything that we can to cover it up. But the truth is, shame is an acid that strips our dignity and dissolves hope. A better way to say it is this, no other emotion better portrays hell than shame. Because here's what happens in shame. It's the utter loss of intimacy, wonder, and joy. Because you literally believe whatever you've done or whatever has happened to you, nobody will understand. It's the loss of a relationship. It's the loss of finances. It's the loss of security. Whatever it may be for you to come out and be fully honest. Here's what I've found that we're really good at human beings. We'll tell the truth, but we leave out the details. (laughs) We'll tell the truth to kind of like uh, give us some relief in our soul, but we know that it doesn't. Shame is so powerful that if you're not careful, it'll actually shape the direction of your life. Shame is so painful that it robs us from feeling any other emotions. You know, if we back up a few years ago, when I first, the emotion that I felt in the beginning, I felt like God wasn't taking care of me. That was the genuine emotion. I felt the emotion of a lack of unsecurity, of insecurity, So here's what, if I had to bet, the reason I share this story with you is to maybe give you some hope in your own personal life that wherever you're at right now, that the only way that you're gonna access the God that you desperately need is if you're willing to embrace vulnerability. The only way to freedom is God saying, all the chips have to be on the table. It's the only way. And listen, can I be honest with you? That's not the fun way, is it? (laughs) Like, God, can we just do this like one little piece at a time? God says, if you want full freedom, I need all of you. I need all of you. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give you three indicators that will help you understand if you're living in shame right now. Because here's the problem with shame. If you've been living in it for so long, you're probably numb to it and you don't even know it's affecting you. You don't even know that shame is the very thing that is what's robbing your joy. Shame, could it be it's the very thing that when you walk out of your room in the morning and you just can't get happy about life anymore, could it be shame? Could the reason that you can't connect with the Lord is because there's this barrier in between you and him and it's called shame. And it's robbing you from feeling things. So number one, the signpost, the, the, the thing that's up there pointing to if we deal with shame is we become painfully absorbed with self. 
Shame brings a certain self-awareness that shakes us to the core. And when I say we become painfully aware of self, this is not what I mean, like you're so into your image. It may manifest that way, but it means this, you can't think about anything else other than what you've done or what's happened to you. Our identity ends up becoming our shame. So you begin to view yourself through a lens based on what you did in the past. You can't believe you've done that. And now you view yourself that way. Here's the danger with that. You begin looking at yourself and viewing yourself in a way that God does not even see you. So your meter and your measure for life is your regret. (laughs) So every relationship that you dive into, you hold back a piece of yourself because you have shame. Every level of authenticity that you want to have with another person, you hold a piece back because of shame. The self seems too ugly to face because the consequences will be crushing. It's why we hide. It's why we hide. But here's what I've learned, especially in my own story, is ironically, we believe that keeping a secret will be better than facing the consequences. Here's the problem with that. This backfires every time. Because every time you hold on to a secret, it crushes your soul day by day. It's a little harder. It gets a little angrier. It gets a little number. And then finally you arrive at a place in, in life where you don't even know why you feel what you feel other than you're just upset and you're angry and you're frustrated. Oftentimes, mainly the consequences are a lack of intimacy with the Father. You ever feel like you're praying and you're just like hitting a wall? <laughs> You're hitting a ceiling, you're crying out to the Lord, and you're not breaking through. Because shame convinces us that we are fundamentally flawed no matter what. So you begin to believe the lies about yourself. I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm undisciplined, I'm always late, I'm never prepared. Now, why do we think that about ourselves? Because shame attacks our core identity, who we think we are. A better way to say it is shame actually tells you what you are. Rather than you being defined by who God says you are, your shame begins to tell you what you are. You're a mistake. You are your regrets. You are what you did. You are your past. The Bible actually teaches us that shame alters our countenance. It literally alters our physical appearance. My wife can tell you this. I've always had this ability as a young kid. I don't know why. I think it's the Holy Spirit but I've always been able to walk into a room and look at somebody in the eyes and tell if they're not doing okay or if they are. The Bible even says that the eyes are the window of the soul. But we've been in rooms before and I've looked at people and I've told my wife, like, that person's not okay. Shame, literally, shame causes our face to redden. I mean, physically, redden. Like, we can feel it. We feel shame in our face. Shame also causes our face to lose radiance and vitality. And I've seen this in countless people in counseling. They get blindsided by something and all of a sudden, because of all the shame, of all the shrapnel that they have to deal with in life, it literally begins to alter their vitality in their face. So you look at them, their eyes look different. Their face looks different. They carry themselves in a different way. They carry themselves with a load, a heavy burden. It begins to alter their face. It begins to alter their countenance. And it begins to alter their countenance because they're carrying a load that they were never designed to carry. Watch what the Bible says about shame, specifically in our face. Isaiah 29, no longer will Jacob be ashamed. No longer will their faces grow pale. Psalms 44, 
says, I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame. You see this in your children. You ever caught them doing something that they shouldn't do and they think they're not there if they cover their face? (laughs) Or they get scared in a moment? I have a one-year-old who literally thinks, I'm like, I'm "I'm coming to get you and she just puts her hands over her face thinking she disappears. (laughs) It's like, you're right there. You ever have that moment where you're caught, you're find out, you're found out, and the person that finds you out, you can't look them in the eyes? You can't stare at them? Because in your face, you feel that shame. Psalms 83 says, cover their faces with shame, Lord, so they will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. See, to be covered in shame is the same feeling as as self-disgust. You just feel absolutely disgusted with yourself for what you've done or what has been done to you. Now, this may be an extreme analogy, but I think it's true. The experience of shame feels like a prolonged, torturous death. So that's the first signpost if you're living in shame. You become so painfully absorbed with yourself that your identity is in what happened to you or what you did. That's how you view yourself. And I just want to say to you this morning that you're viewing yourself through a shattered lens. It is not the lens that God views you through. You may view yourself through that, but I want you to know that God does not view you through that lens. The second kind of signpost, the second way that we know that we're dealing with shame, number two, is we're running from exposure. (laughs) Shame convinces us that no matter what happens, keep hiding. You ever had that with a child? Buddy, if you just tell me the truth, the consequences will not be bad. They just persist on lying (laughs) because they think I will weasel my way out of it. And as a parent, you're like, I know you ate the cookie, bro. It's all over your face. The chocolate is dripping down. Did you eat the candy? No. (laughs) And persist to lie over and over because shame tells you no matter what, don't tell the truth. Because the consequences will be too much for your soul to bear. It'll kill you, so just keep hiding. Actually, we see this in Genesis chapter 3, don't we? Adam and Eve, they take a bite of the fruit. What happens? It says God's strolling. He's walking in the garden. Adam, Eve, where are you? Oh my goodness, God is coming to look for us. What do they do? They run and hide. God can't see us naked. The thought of God seeing them exposed was too overwhelming. Now, the truth is we may not physically hide behind a tree. We just escape into our inner world and wish we were invisible. So what does this look like? Especially with people that deal with depression and anxiety. We run to the bedroom and we stay in bed. We shut the blinds, we turn on the TV, and this inner world becomes our life. We hide in the confines of our house. Why? Because it's safe. Nobody can find us out. Nobody can expose us. Nobody can deal with any of the issues. So we escape to this inner world. There was a season in my life that every time my wife mentioned finances, I tried to do everything to change the subject, to back away, to not talk about it. Even after everything was out, I still felt the shame for it that God had to deal with me on Can I be honest with you? There were days that I wanted to just numb out on Netflix. And there are probably days that I did. (laughs) 
Because shame prompts us to fly over to this world where we create this safe world where we can just numb ourselves. Where you don't have to feel because feeling our emotions is too painful. Because when you start feeling your emotions, then you have to actually reckon with what you've done. The best way to describe it would be a definition. It's a word called dissociation. It's a fancy word that simply means, I'm out of here. (laughs) I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere that offers an escape from my inner agony. Shame causes us to believe. Listen to me, you have to hear this, especially if you're dealing with this. Shame causes us to believe that the enemy is far worse than he actually is. The truth is, and this is what I've learned in my own journey, is that running from shame only increases shame. (laughs) Running from shame only increases shame, making the ugliness about ourselves too ugly for God to fix, or so we think. Shame also teaches us to kill the enemy. And the enemy in our lives is usually anybody that's trying to get close to us. Because we can't let anybody too close, because if they get too close, they'll find us out. I want you to know that does not just translate in physical relationships, but that translate in your relationship with the Lord. Because if you get too close, he's not going to let you stay that way forever. And eventually he's going to start unraveling the onion. <laughs> and he's going to go, okay, I see the outer shell. Let's start peeling it away. No, 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 God. Okay, and so we, we recoil, we pull back a little bit. The third thing is one of the most damaging things, and it's one of the, the saddest things. Shame causes us violence against self and others. Shame lashes out to destroy the self and blind the people observing it. Meaning, we begin to believe the whispering lies in our head about ourselves. We begin to actually tell ourselves that we're worthless, that we're not worth it, or I don't deserve it. Or God, there's other people out there that are more deserving than me, so go serve them first because of what I've done. Just in a moment of vulnerability, show of hands, how many have ever felt this before where you say, you know what, God, based on the things that I've done, just go help somebody else because I know you're probably pretty mad at me. Anybody ever felt that? We all have. So let's define what shame is because I think this will help you. Shame. It's the traumatic exposure of nakedness. The traumatic Exposure, and I use that word traumatic very specifically because when you get found out, it is traumatic. So let me say it to you in a different way. The moment the mask that you've put on in a certain situation or your whole life, the moment the covering that you've put on no longer covers you and it gets pulled off and the inner ugly is on full display for everybody to see. And you realize all the things that you've used, all the mechanisms, the coping mechanisms that you've used your entire life don't cover you anymore. And you go, oh my goodness, now it's all exposed. Shame taught me the lie that I was flawed and defective. And the truth is, I'm sure it's teaching you the same thing if you're not careful. But here's what I learned in my journey. Is I realized that God loved me enough to pierce through the delusion. That God loved me enough to help me to understand what I was actually walking through, that shame became this robber in my life that robbed the ability to feel the emotions that I needed to feel. 
truth be told, the reason that I had to cover up for a period in my life is because I just genuinely didn't think that God was going to cover for me. I didn't think God was going to come through. And that's part of the reason that why feeling your emotions is so important because oftentimes it really exposes your beef with God. (laughs) If we're just being honest. Our beef with God is, well, why did you let my mom die? Our beef with God is like, well, when we said together forever, God, I thought this relationship was going to work out. Why did this happen? Or you dive into, well, what could I have done? If I would have said this better, if I would have done this better, if I could have been a better wife or a better husband, like things happen sometimes and they're out of our control. And, And can I tell you something? Sometimes it's just not on you. It's not. But here's what shame does. It's your fault. It's your problem. You're flawed. You're defective. If you would have done things differently, the situation would have turned out different. And sometimes, here's what I had to learn. Sometimes it's just not on you. Sometimes it's nothing you've done. Sometimes God's not angry at you. Sometimes just the fallen world that we live in and sin runs rampant and sometimes bad things happen to good people can't answer that question. I wish I could. I really wish I could. My son asked me that the other day. Like, I don't have an answer for you, son. I wish I did. The only answer I know is that in all the bad things that I've done, in all the times that I deserve God's wrath, God has still been gracious to me. That's all I know. So I say all that to say this. Those are the indicators. But if you get down to the root of it, all shame is due to idolatry. All shame is due to idolatry. So so let me explain it to you this way. The root of my shame was to give off the appearance that everything was fine. And when that idol toppled over, (laughs) I got exposed. And it's the traumatic exposure of that nakedness. So here's what I want you to understand. Some of you are like, well, I'm fine, I'm okay. What happens when the idol of security topples over? What happens when the idol of your appearance and your youth topples over? What happens when the God of success topples over? The God of security, the God of perfectionism, the God of money is not there anymore. And then all of a sudden you get exposed. (laughs) And that idol begins to topple over. So here's what shame begins to indicate. That the God that we've been serving all along was not God. What I learned for me is shame was an internal wake-up call. The God I was worshiping was not the God that could set me free. See, when shame penetrates, you're left with two things. It either leads you to repentance or to self-violence. It leads you to repentance or you begin to self-depreciate. I can't believe that happened to me. I can't believe I let that happen to me. Can I just help set some of you free for a moment? If somebody took advantage of you, that's not on you. It wasn't like, well, I shouldn't have been in that room or if I would have walked in five minutes early or something would have did. That's not on you. And some of us carry shame for things that weren't even our fault. I want to read an excerpt to you out of a book called The Cry of the Soul. 
And y'all can blame the first service. I had a bunch to give away, and they took them all. So, um, but it, I'm telling you, if I've used this book to help us with this series. And if you want to dive deeper into this, go get that book. This is an excerpt from it. He says this, shame not only exposes idolatry. Here's the beauty of it. It also intensifies the cry of the soul. Shame pushes the heart to the extremity of life and death. Tragically, shame usually edges the heart towards death. Shame has the potential to arrest passion, close down desire, and turn the heart away from sorrow. Once passion, desire, and sorrow are dormant, the heart freely returns to idolatry without feeling or thought. So let me sum up to you what he's saying in this whole passage right here. The truth is, it's safer to feel shame than sorrow. Let me explain why. Because shame closes down the heart and allows you to feel nothing. So it's safer. Shame actually shuts down the heart. It shuts down the connection with other people. It shuts down the connection with God so you can retreat to your safe world, numb out, and not have to think about what you've done. But sorrow increases momentum to seek, knock, and ask and say, God, help me. Sorrow pushes you to this place of, okay, how many know there's a difference between you got caught but, and then you repented, right? You got caught and you said, sorry, that's not really repentance. You got caught, so you had to open up. Pastor Tim Delina says it this way, people that apologize are good, but people conf- who confess are better. <laughs> that's what sorrow does. It leads you to to dive deep into your soul and go, man, why have I been carrying this for so long? What it does, it is it increases the cry of the soul to say, God, oh my gosh, I am so desperate without you. And you begin to realize that the only way that you get through this life, the only way that you access the freedom that you so desire is by exposing everything about yourself. My prayer for you is that your shame would compel you to stand naked, vulnerable, and cry out to God for wisdom. Can I just be honest with you? I prayed with a lady here in the first service, and she said, I've been coming here for a month, and God just really been tugging on my heart, and she said, I can't sit through a service without crying, and every time I leave, the whole week I'm crying. I don't even know what's going on. I said, listen, this is good news. Because God's doing something deep in you. And when God starts doing something deep, it often starts with you addressing pain. It often causes you to dive into the memories that you don't want to remember. It often causes you to dive into the things that you've stuffed down. But can I tell you something? That's called freedom. As I bring this to a close, I want to read to you a passage in Psalms 44. And you're going to see this tension between this author wanting to stay stuck in shame and wanting to dive over to sorrow to lead him for his soul to cry out. Watch this. It says, you have made us reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long. and My face is covered with shame with the taunts of those who reproach and revile me. Because of the enemy who is bent on revenge, all this came upon us. Though we had not forgotten you, we had not been false to your covenant. Let me pause there. 
So this is a moment of vulnerability with this author saying, the reason I'm in the situation I'm in, God, is because you haven't done your part. Anybody ever felt that way? The reason I'm here is because I trusted you and you let me fall on my face. So this author's saying, this is the reason I love the Psalms. It gives us permission to tell God how we feel. And that's okay. Because God gave us emotions. He's got them. But then watch what happens. He's like, you know what? That's how I feel. Ah, I got that off my chest. (laughs) And then he continues. He says, awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. And then watch what he says. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. If we were to sum that whole passage up, it's this. Our shame will compel us to shut down or it'll compel us to cry out. You have a choice to make this morning. You can shut down or you can cry out. You can say, you know what? I don't want to deal with that and I promise you will not live the life that you want to live. And today what I want to do is I want to invite you into that cry. I want to invite you into that cry. It's the reason that I'm even willing to stand up here this morning and even vulnerable before you sharing details about my life. And the only reason that I've done that is, and my wife can tell you this, I promise you one day I'm going to write a book on this topic. Because it is the emotion that literally keeps you chained to your past and you can't move on. Shame is the thing that is crippling us. Shame is the very thing that is causing your depression and your anxiety. You know, I'm not here to judge anybody or their story but here's what I do know you know when your heart is not functioning right you take a pill for that right when your liver is not functioning right the doctor will give you medicine for that so if you're in here and you got some mental things going on some depression or some anxiety and you're on medication for that I don't think that's wrong I think that's called common grace God has given us doctors to be able to help us but here's what I do know in that And I want to speak very carefully to this. That if that's you, I want you to know this. The medicine oftentimes, I'll talk to a counselor on this, so oftentimes we give them the medicine just to get them healthy enough and to a place where they're finally confident to start working on the soul and then we start weaning them off. Here's what I want you to know. At the end of the day, and yet again, some of you might need that the rest of your life. And if that's what needs to go on for you to be able to pursue things, I'm not speaking against that. But here's what I'm saying is that Jesus is the only one that can set us free. At the end of the day, he is the only rock that is our hope. At the end of the day, the real only hope that we have is Jesus. At the end of the day, here's what I had to realize in my own journey, in my own story. To my surprise, I was reminded that he was willing to be shamed for me. And I no longer had to hold that shame. See, my moments and bouts of anxiety and depression was in those moments and bouts of shame. And as soon as that was lifted, it's like it was gone. 
And I talk about this so passionately because it's something that I experienced. And I know that there's people in here that experience this and I want you to experience the fullness that God has for you. So this is why it's so important. Listen to me. We live in a culture that does not prioritize commitment. Churches become flippant. I go when I feel like it. Listen, this is the reason that you need community so bad. It's one thing to have somebody to be able to talk to about your hard days. It's another thing to have somebody who is godly that can speak into your life, that can push you to the truth. It's gonna say, I love you and I'm not having you stay there. Doesn't do it in a condemning way, doesn't do it in an oppressive way, but can say, hey man, you know what? That was my story too help you push through this. And listen, I know like all throughout this series, when we started this last week, I was like, dang, man, I don't know if this was the right move. I got down from here and like literally half of the people are crying. I'm like, this people are going to be depressed when we're done with this series, dude. But you know what I genuinely believe? I believe it's time because I believe that God is calling us. And I said this last time, this church is going to bring revival to this city. I genuinely believe that. But listen to me, we can't do it if you're not spiritually and emotionally ready. Because here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be all these hurting and broken people coming through these doors. There already is. And God's saying, if you want the people, you gotta steward the people you have so I, I know I walked through that journey specifically for me and for this church. Because before God brings you what you want and what you desire to the change that you desire to see in a community, in a nation, in a city, he has to do it first in his people. Why do you think before Moses ever had the opportunity to lead the children out of Israel, he spent 40 years in the desert? Why do you think that whenever Jesus was first baptized, he's like, all right, I'm ready to go. Let's start this ministry. And it says the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert. Because every time God is about to move, he begins to dredge and dig up the deep things in your soul so that when you're looking other people in the eyes that you can talk about freedom and you actually know what it looks like. So you can say, God set me free and you're not thinking, well, I got all this stuff back here. You can say, no, 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 God set me free. I'm a different person. We wanna see revival in this city. People talk about it all the time. You wanna see that start a revival in your own soul first. That's what has to happen. So we're doing this series because I literally believe this is going to be the precipice of God doing something new in this city. Because we don't want to talk about freedom like it's just something that we talk about. We want to talk about it like it's something we've actually experienced. Like when you say Jesus has arrested me and changed my life, we can say that from a real place that he really has. may not be who I want to be right now in this moment, but I'm surely not who I used to be. And that's what God wants for you.